Some people think that they have dynamic personalities because they're always exploding. But that isn't the case. But anger is a powerful emotion which consumes tremendous energy. Some of the most exhausted people you'll ever meet are those who are repressing or suppressing deep-seated anger that they have held in check for a long time. It requires so much of their personal energy that they live life exhausted. Anger can be destructive, and they know that. And so they hold it in check. Someone has said anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Because we have trouble handling our anger, it's likely that most of us at one time or another, or perhaps regularly, have prayed for patience. Maybe that was your New Year's resolution, to be more patient in 1993. How's it going? Patience is a wonderful thing, because the more you use of it, the more you have. Patience is a virtue that requires a lot of weight, W-A-I-T. Developing patience may be difficult, and is difficult. But understanding the effects of anger makes it desirable, despite its difficulty. Proverbs has something to tell us regarding patience and anger. First, let's note from Proverbs some observations about an angry person. There are five of them, as you will note on your outline. The first one is that the angry person behaves foolishly. Proverbs 14 and verse 17 says, A quick-tempered man does foolish things, and a crafty man is hated. Verse 29 says, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. The angry person behaves foolishly. That's the first observation. Now we see that in life. We don't have to go to Proverbs to see this, but God's Word underscores the truthfulness of it. And all of us have not only seen it, we've seen it up real close. Because we've done it. You will notice that there is a contrast in the last verse I read with, between the quick-tempered man and the patient man. Literally, the Hebrew says here, the short-nosed and the long-nosed man. There's a play on words because the word nose and the word anger in the Hebrew come from the same word, same root. The link between them seems to be that the angry person snorts. He is seen as snorting in anger. Now, have you ever heard a person snort in anger? Now, I would perhaps try to do that if I didn't have a cold. Could be dangerous. There is a contrast between the one who is short-nosed and who snorts real quick and the one who is long-nosed, who is patient. And he says here, the short-nosed, snorting man 
is one who behaves foolishly. In chapter 12 and verse 16, we see that anger is a hallmark of a fool. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. The prudent man knows how to field insults that come his direction. He's able to take them in stride, but, but not the fool. He immediately shows his annoyance and becomes angry. On the other hand, in chapter 29 and verse 11, we see that to calm anger is a mark of wisdom. If the fool displays his anger immediately, the wise man is one who is able to calm his anger. 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So that his behavior, his reactions to insults and offenses are tempered, under control, and not explosive. The first observation about an angry person is that he behaves foolishly. The second observation is that the angry person stirs up trouble. We're in chapter 29, look at verse 22. An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. A person who is angry is one who stirs up trouble wherever he goes. There may be coals that are lying almost out and dormant in a situation, and before he's done, he has stirred up those coals and fanned new flames into the problem. Chapter 30, verse 32 says, If you have played the fool and exalted yourself, or if you have planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. Now, don't do that, please. This is, this is just saying that. For as churning the milk produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. An angry person likes to stir up anger. He gets his jollies from that. Whether it be his own anger or the anger of other people, he likes to get others involved in it. He stirs up trouble wherever he goes. The word hot head or hot tempered, however yours may be translated, means venomous. It's the very same Hebrew word, venomous. It's used that way in Psalm 58 and verse 4. The idea is that when this person is enraged, he is threatening, he is venomous, he causes trouble. I heard a story one time about a man who was talking with an atheist friend of his. And uh, the atheist friend was denying the Bible is true. He said, there's not a word in the Bible that's true. And went back and forth and finally this, this fellow got a little angry about it. And he reached up to his... Uh, atheist friend's nose and gave it a hard twist and it began to bleed and he said I want you to know that proves the Bible is true because it says the twisting of the nose produces blood <laughs> as well as that is true so does stirring up anger produce strife the second observation is that the angry person stirs up trouble to strive for peace on the other hand is a mark of wisdom 
R.T. Archibald said, Blessed are the peacemakers, that is, those who carry about with them an atmosphere in which quarrels die a natural death. Is that the atmosphere that you carry through your week? Where quarrels die a natural death? Just as when you put a flame into a vacuum, it goes out. There's nothing there you see for it to, to continue to burn on. There's no combustion that can take place. God help us to be those kinds of peacemakers that enter into a room where there's tension or who touch a relationship where there is combat and we bring there the end of the anger. The third observation we see of the angry man in Proverbs is that he learns the hard way. Chapter 19 and verse 19. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. The hot-tempered person, the angry man, will not listen to counsel. He knows better. You can't tell him anything. He will not listen. So therefore, when he gets into trouble, says Proverbs, let him pay the penalty. Let him suffer the consequences of his anger. Because if you go in and try to rescue him, you will simply short-circuit the process and you'll have to rescue him again and again and again. He'll never learn his lesson. It's counterproductive to bail out of his problems an angry man because his ungoverned temper will land him in fresh trouble over and over. The mark of wisdom is to listen to counsel and to learn from it and not to have to learn the hard way. I suppose that all of us have gone through periods in our lives when we have been like this angry person who will not listen to somebody else and I am sure that we could have scores of testimonies of people here who could say here are the consequences in my life because I would not listen in my anger. Avoid that. The fourth lesson is that the, or observation rather, is that the angry person endangers his own well-being. Chapter 14 of Proverbs and verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body but envy rots the bones. Now the word envy here is translated a number of different ways. Some translations put it passion. What it's really talking about is getting worked up about something. It's allowing that type A personality behavior to be common in your life. He says passion Getting worked up about things easily endangers your own well-being. It is self-destructive. Some people get worked up about things and they 
they scheme and they plot how they're going to get back and get revenge. They run the danger of a submarine in World War II by the name of the U.S. Tang. It surfaced under the cover of darkness to fire in a large Japanese convoy and it only had eight of its torpedoes left because it had been involved in warfare already. So the accuracy of every shot was very important. The first seven of the torpedoes, it is said, were right on target, but when the eighth torpedo was launched, for some reason it deviated from its path and headed right back at the submarine. Before the crew could submerge and get out of its way, the torpedo struck and within seconds the submarine sank, taking all aboard to the bottom. That's the way anger and revenge work. They are self-destructive. The mental and emotional state that anger brings adversely affects our health. To release the negative emotions of anger in a healthy way, however, brings vitality to the body. As it says here, a heart at peace gives life to the body. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health or medicine to your body and nourishment to your bones, says Proverbs. When you and I harbor anger and resentment inside, when we allow the lava of anger to boil inside of us like we are a volcano that's capped, it will eat away at the inside of us and destroy us physically. The angry person endangers his own well-being. Then there's a fifth observation that we make. It is this, that the angry person leaves himself vulnerable. Chapter 16, verse 32 says, Being a patient man, better a patient man, than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, than one who takes a city. Compare that with what is said in chapter 25 and verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. The angry person leaves himself vulnerable, just like a city that has no walls to protect it. He refuses the walls that self-restraint and self-discipline raise up. He sees these as restrictions to what he wants and how he feels. And so he refuses to discipline his own emotions, and then the enemy comes and easily defeats him. The angry person leaves himself vulnerable to perpetual defeat. He has no defense. But to build the walls of self-discipline and patience is to be a wise person. When we do that, the surges of angry emotions are deflected. They are channeled then into some healthy direction and release. And our lives are protected. 
from these observations we see the dangers of being an angry person. An angry person is unbecoming, disruptive, stubborn, injurious, and vulnerable. Do you want to be that kind of person? Well, who could want to be? And yet some of us are. Therefore, let's move ahead and talk about advice for one seeking to develop patience. Because even if we are not angry people this morning, all of us face the emotion of anger from time to time in our lives. How do we develop patience? Well, Proverbs gives us advice for one who seeks to develop this godly quality in his life. The first advice is, number one, avoid relationships with angry persons. That seems strange to you? It shouldn't. If you want to develop patience in your life, avoid relationships with angry persons. Chapter 22, verse 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. So the first piece of advice is to avoid relationships with people who are angry. It mentions directly friendships. It's not that you're to be rude. It's not that you can't work with them when you're required to. But avoid becoming intimately associated with someone who is angry. Lest you pick up on those habits. If you want to be patient, avoid that trap. What about roommates? Sometimes you have no choice about roommates, especially in college. What about marriage? Once you're married, it's too late. So what do you do when you are already associated in, in a situation with someone who's angry? When it's unavoidable, what do you do then? Well, I believe that Proverbs gives us a, a strong word of advice. Chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath. Grievous words stir up anger. The counsel to someone who's already in a relationship with an angry person is this. Be gentle in your responses to that person. Don't unnecessarily arouse the anger in him or in her. Secondly, and this is very important, establish boundaries of what's acceptable so that you don't become a victim of the person's anger. There is never a reason that a wife has to be abused by an angry husband, physically abused. That is beyond any kind of boundary the Word of God establishes. There are other kinds of boundaries that need to be set up, and you need to set those up when you are in an unavoidable relationship with an angry person. 
If you don't, you will become a victim. And if you're already a victim, seek help. Go to someone who can help you, who can backtrack with you as far as possible to lay down some guidelines that will prevent you from being victimized by an angry person. And then thirdly, if you're in this kind of a relationship, ask God to intervene and to bring freedom to your friend. Because you see, there are few slaveries worse than that of anger. Few slaveries destroy like anger. So the best thing you can do for your friend or your spouse is to pray for freedom from that anger. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But ask God to intervene. Not just for your sake, but for your friend's sake. Because that life is in slavery and in bondage until that anger is dealt with. So the first piece of advice is, as much as you can, avoid relationships with angry persons. Secondly, understand the dynamics of sinful anger. Anger itself is a God-given human emotion. It is not sinful. It is not sinful in itself. But it can be expressed wrongly. The flesh, you see, in us, will arise and use this emotion to express itself. Say, what is the flesh? I understand the flesh in a biblical sense, as we're using it now, to be that pattern of behavior, attitudes, and responses left over in us from who we were before we were saved. It's a pattern of behavior, attitudes, and responses left over in us from our old man. Who we were before our salvation. We're no longer who we were. We're new creatures in Christ. But our personalities are still stamped with some of those same patterns that we learned and had before. And sin still is a powerful force within the believer. We're not obligated to obey it, but it's still present. And it energizes the flesh, this old pattern. So that when we come into a situation where we have angry feelings, that flesh seeks to rise up and say, channel that anger this way. We have to understand the dynamics of that. That's why we were told in the New Testament to put away anger. It's talking about that kind of anger, fleshly anger. Colossians 3.8, for example, says, You must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger and rage, and it goes on with the list. But notice it begins with anger. Anger and rage. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Get rid of it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I want to come back to that in a moment. But let me refer you to Galatians 5.19, which says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. 
hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. That's the flesh. That's that pattern that belonged to the old man that we were, that still seeks to find expression in our lives, though we are new creatures. That's the flesh. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of, of rage, and it goes on. But it says, those who are Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we have to understand the dynamic of sinful anger. Anger is a God-given emotion. But the flesh is that in us which seeks to usurp that energy and channel it in the wrong way. And we're to get rid of that. We're to put it off. We're to have nothing to do with that. Because it does not represent any longer who we are. The third piece of advice we see in the Word of God is that we're to walk in the Spirit's liberating power to experience victory. This is not only with anger, but other things, but it certainly is true of anger. Walk in the Spirit's liberating power to experience victory. Since anger is so powerful an emotion, the flesh can easily hijack it and use its energy for sinful purposes. So, when we sense being angry, we need to be sure at that moment that we are under the Holy Spirit's control. We need to give Him access to our angry feelings and not cut Him out. When we are angry at that moment that we're aware of it, we need to say, Holy Spirit, you take charge of this anger. And ask Him then to release that anger under His control. He'll show you how to do it. It is not good to hold anger in. But it has to be released in a godly way. And so in Galatians 5.16 it says this, Walk in or walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Does the flesh want to use anger for its sinful purpose? Don't listen to it. Walk by the power of the Spirit. And let the Spirit channel that anger in a healthy way. Galatians 5.22 reminds us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Patience isn't something that we just merely manufacture on our own. So when we seek to develop it, we need to understand that truly it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in us. That we have to cooperate with Him. He needs our willingness. He needs our surrender. But if we give that to Him, He will develop patience in us as His blessed fruit. And so we're exhorted in Galatians 5.25, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When we allow the flesh to usurp our anger and channel it in the wrong direction, we're out of step with the Spirit of God. And so he says, just stay in step. Keep yourselves in rank with the Holy Spirit. And thus, when you have any kind of emotion, including that of anger, he will be able to control that and use it for good. So that brings me to the final question I've jotted down in the outline, and I suppose the answer should be obvious to you now. 
Is anger ever justified? The answer is absolutely yes. You can tell a lot about a person by seeing what makes him laugh, by seeing what makes him cry, and seeing what makes him angry. If you're dating someone, look for those three things. If we do not become angry about some things, there is something wrong with us. Anger can be justified. There is such a thing as righteous anger. And in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul recognizes that truth. And writes it this way, in your anger, do not sin. There will be anger that all of us will experience from time to time. We're human beings. God has created us with emotions. And as we pass through life, we go through circumstances and situations where anger arises. But in your anger, do not sin. That is a quote, by the way, from Psalm 4, verse 4. Go back and take a look at the context of that sometime. It'll give you some insight to what it means. Anger is attributed to God and to Jesus Christ, isn't it? It is justified. God is angry with the wicked every day. It's a holy anger, a righteous anger. The Lord Jesus Christ was angry with what he saw in the temple in the way that the worship of God had been abused and misused and twisted and perverted. He was angry about it. But we want to avoid becoming angry people. It's okay to have angry feelings and to allow the Spirit of God to use those angry feelings for some good purpose, to channel that angry that energy of anger in a right way. But we must avoid becoming angry people who go to bed in their anger, who let the sun go down in their wrath and get up in the morning with it and the next day experience it and the next night they go to bed with it and on and on it goes. That makes an angry person. When we do that, we become dominated by anger and we make ourselves unhappy. There is no such thing as a happy, angry person. Anger dissipates our energy. It destroys our relationships with others and our own health. And it denies the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Maybe you are an angry person. And that anger comes from years back in your life because you were victimized. <clears throat> it was nothing that you did. Perhaps you were abused or misused or taken advantage of. And you've grown up with those feelings and there's anger that lies submerged and deep within you. There is this volcano and it is so powerful that you hold it tightly lest it escape 
because you just have the feeling that if it begins to vent itself, it'll be like Mount St. Helens all over again. What do you do when you have that kind of anger? First of all, you have to choose to relinquish your anger to Christ. If somebody says, you don't know the cause of my anger. You don't know how I've been wronged. That's true. But I know somebody who does know all of those details. That's the Lord. And it is He who has commanded you to forgive others just as you have been forgiven by God for Christ's sake. If you couldn't forgive, God wouldn't have commanded you to forgive. You can forgive. And thus be free of your anger. Dr. Neil Anderson has written in his very helpful book called Steps to Freedom in Christ these sentences about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgetting may be the result of forgiveness, but it is never the means of forgiveness. When we bring up the past against others, we haven't forgiven them. Forgiveness is a choice, a crisis of the will. Since God requires us to forgive, it is something we can do. But forgiveness is difficult for us because it pulls against our concept of justice. We want revenge for offenses suffered. But we are told never to take our own revenge. Why should I let them off the hook, we protest. You let them off your hook, writes Anderson, but they are never off God's hook. He will deal with them fairly, something that we cannot do. If you don't let offenders off your hook, you are hooked to them and the past. And that just means continued pain for you. So stop the pain. Let it go. You don't forgive someone merely for their sake. You do it for your sake so that you can be free. Your need to forgive isn't an issue between you and the offender. It's between you and God. Forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sin. Forgiveness is costly. We pay the price of the evil we forgive. Yet you're going to live with those consequences whether you want to or not. Your only choice is whether you will do so in the bitterness of unforgiveness or the freedom of forgiveness. Why then do we forgive? Because Christ forgave us. The unforgiveness that may be present in your life today can be a source of tremendous anger. That anger that you harbor, that anger that you hang on to, becomes a block to any spiritual growth in your life. You cannot mature as a believer. You really can't mature even as a person until you have dealt with that anger. You must deal with it. You must. And the sooner you do it, the better. 
The sooner you do it, the better. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the Spirit of God is bringing pressure and the point of conviction to hearts right here. Aren't you tired of hanging on? Aren't you tired of trying to control and keep limits on that anger, that rage within you? Surely you must be. Will you today forgive? Will you choose at the crisis of this moment to use your will and say, I will forgive? Do it for Jesus' sake. Let them off your hook. They're not off God's hook. Let God deal with them. Let God deal with them. But let them off your hook so that you can unhook from them and get on with your walk with God. Oh, may God help us this morning to develop patience. A man's wisdom gives him patience. Father, I pray that we will today yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May there not be one of us who would go out desiring anything less than the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. And wherein there are issues that are deep, I pray that you will cause those hurting and exhausted children of yours to seek out counsel and help so that they can be freed from anger. And Father, I pray that as we experience the emotion of anger through our daily lives, we will learn to yield that feeling to the Holy Spirit so that it can be expressed in a healthy, beneficial way and not turn around like a torpedo and destroy us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to ask you to take your hymnal and turn with me to just a chorus of 343.